Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Today is November 30th, 2022, and the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Kislev. And today we're reading the Torah portion of Vayetze, in which we learn about Yaakov leaving his family, leaving his parents, and going out to Haran to get married and establish a family. Yaakov leaves the land of Israel because his parents tell him that they don't want him to marry the local women. They don't have the kind of refined nature that they would want to see in the Jewish people that Yaakov would need to create in the Jewish people. And so he goes back to his family members and decides to marry Rachel, the youngest daughter of Levan, his uncle. But in the end, Levan plays a trick on him and marries Leah, the oldest daughter, off to Yaakov. And in the end of the story, Yaakov really marries both Leah and Rachel. So I would like to take two themes of this week's Torah portion that, that I think are very relevant to our society and discuss them. Theme number one is how we choose to feel about our relationships. I'm seeing so much discussion about people triggering me and the breakdown of the family and how when families have issues, they move blame one to the other. And in this week's Torah portion, we actually have a model of a different kind of relationship. How do you solve problems in your relationship? And the other somewhat related uh, theme that is in the store portion is our relationship to children, how our society views children. So one of these days, I read a post on Facebook uh, about a woman who traveled with her husband and a three-year-old daughter, and because they made some money and they wanted to travel comfortably to the family for Thanksgiving, they decided to travel first class. So, yes, they bought three tickets in the first class and traveled cross-country to visit the family. As they board and sit down, a flight attendant comes over to them and asks to see the tickets. And sees the tickets, says, okay, everything's fine. Then a few minutes later, another flight attendant comes over and asks to see the tickets. And, yeah, the tickets are fine. Turns out a person, another passenger in the first class, saw a child and was sure that this family was traveling in the wrong place. How could a family with a child be traveling in first class? So the flight attendants came over to check if they're really sitting in their seats. And after that was established, he came over and said, you have to move to economy. I bought first class tickets because I don't want to travel with children. I want to travel quietly. You have a kid, get out of the first class. You have to be in economy. So the mother called over a flight attendant and the flight attendant calmed the guy down, but he wouldn't come down. And he kept cursing this mother out for, um, quote-unquote, encroaching on his space with this kid. Now, this kid wasn't even making any trouble. She was traveling quietly. But this fact that a kid was in the guy's space made things difficult for him. And I'm seeing different posts and different stories of that order, of people saying, 
Now, why should my uh, colleague with kids get time off for sick leave? Why am I to suffer just because I don't have children? As if children are this choice, this luxury. You know, you decide to get a luxury to have children. So why should other people suffer? Now, I need to tell you that here in Israel, it's not even something that would come up because in this culture, in Israel at least, it's very clear that kids have children. Like It's normal to have children. And most families, you know, even secular families, have three to four kids. In religious circles, it's more like five, six, seven, eight. But even a secular, regular Israeli family would have three to four kids. It's normal. A family, family has only one kid, so there's usually a problem. So in Israel and in the Jewish culture, all over the world, kids are a treasure. We're not a kid-centered culture, but having kids is really important because that's the next generation. It's pretty selfish to come into the world and just finish the world with yourself. But um, some people obviously cannot have children, and that's not a choice, and that can be a source of very deep pain. But children are an important part of Jewish tradition, an important part of Israeli society, and they used to be an important and normal part of the Western society as well. And in the United States, children were normal. And it feels to me from what I'm reading and what, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that that has changed. That somehow children are a luxury, their choice, and other people um, make mothers and fathers feel uncomfortable for their choices. Yeah, I understand when you get on a plane and there's a screaming toddler who screams for 18 hours or 11 hours or 8 hours or 6 hours of a flight and the parents don't do anything about it, that can be quite annoying. Fact is, parents don't always have what to do. You get a 2-3 year old on a flight, you don't always have resources to get them to come down. It really depends on the kid. But Children in and of themselves are normal. It's part of life. You know, they're all kinds of different people and they're children. And it's normal that children have a hard time on a flight. And children cry. That's normal. Okay, it's inconvenient, but it's normal. And I think people have sort of lost proportion. People lost understanding. So if we go back to this week's Torah portion, like I said, there are two issues I would like to discuss. One, how people act in difficult relationships. And then another is how people look at children. So Rachel and Yaakov had a love story. The Yaakov came uh, to Haran and he saw Rachel, his cousin, and he right away fell in love with her and he wanted to marry her. But her father said, you know, you want to marry Rachel, you have to bring a dowry. And because Yaakov didn't have anything on him, he promised to work for seven years to um, herd Levan's sheep and that would be the dowry, and then he would be able to marry Rachel. So that was the story. That's what he did. It passed very quickly because he was so in love with her. And sure enough, the wedding night comes around, and Levan switches Leah for Rachel. Apparently, they were twins, or you know, she was covered. He didn't notice. It's a bit of a difficult story, and, and there's more meaning to it. But basically, uh, Levan switches Rachel for Leah, and then in the morning, Yaakov realizes that he married the wrong woman. So then he comes back to Levan, and Levan says, Sorry, oops, you cannot marry a younger daughter before an older daughter. We don't do this here. So if you want to marry Rachel, no problem, but you have to work for another seven years. 
So Yaakov marries Rachel, and then he works for another seven years. So there's actually very deep meaning here. Rachel and Leah are two archetypes of people. Rachel is beautiful, gorgeous, inside and outside, upside down and all around. She is this perfect woman. She is the side of perfection. And Leah, she spent years crying because everybody would say that she would marry Asaph, the wicked brother of Yaakov. So she cried and prayed not to marry Asaph, and her eyes were so swollen from crying that it is said that her um, eyebrows fell out. Um, so, so she's not so pretty. You know, she is a person who changes destiny. She's not pretty outside, and she is a person who really has to work hard to change her destiny. So, when we marry somebody, at first people think that they marry Rachel. They have this picture of perfection. They're in love. Uh, they found somebody, you know, they had over heels with somebody. And, and they married this person. And they're sure that they're marrying somebody who is the height of perfection. But guess what? That's actually not true. Every person you marry has his or her blemishes. Guess what? So do we. Every person has blemishes. So the person we actually marry, we think we're marrying Rachel, we're marrying Aliyah. We're marrying somebody who has problems. And now the question is, are we ready to accept that? And it's only with internal work that happens after the wedding that you married to marry Rachel. Because everything happens before the wedding. You think you're working for Rachel. You think you have this relationship. You're working. You're developing a relationship. There's actually internal truth here this, to this too. To get married to somebody, you have to work. You have to do internal work. You have to work on your relationship. And then you can get married. But the person you think you're marrying this height of perfection, that's not really who you're marrying. You're marrying somebody who has blemishes, who's not as pretty as she thinks she is, or you think that she is, or he is. And that person really will also change with time. So yeah, you want to get to this Rachel that you're going to marry in the end, to this perfection, you have to start working after the wedding. The work after the wedding, the work on relationship after the wedding, that is what creates the relationship in the end. That this person who has blemishes, who is not perfect, Really, in the end, you feel like they're your partner, they're your um, soulmate, and you don't see the blemishes anymore, and you feel like this person you married is this perfect Rachel. But that's the work that happens after the wedding. So now, Yaakov married Rachel and Leah, and he loved Rachel more, and Leah felt, you know, disadvantaged. She wasn't the she wasn't the chosen wife. She wasn't the loved wife. So she has a child, and the first child she calls him is Reuven. Reuven is from uh, the word Reu to see. She says, it's so, the fact that I'm not loved is so palpable, you can almost see it. But then the second son, she chooses to call him Shimon. Shimon is from the word Shmia, to hear. So if with Reuven, she's so bitter about the fact that she's not the loved wife, then with Shimon, it becomes a little bit more uh, refined, nuanced. It's not something you see, but you hear. Then with Levi, the third son, you know, it's a neutral name. My husband will accompany me. He'll accompany me. It's neutral. There's no pain there, but there's no uh, gladness and joy there either. And it's only with the fourth son that she calls him Yehuda. 
Huda comes from the world to praise, to thank. She thanks God for giving her th these four children. And then uh, she has two more children, um, um, God and Asher. And their names mean luck and happiness. God is luck and Asher is I'm happy. And other people will uh, approve of my happiness. My happiness is so apparent, anybody can see it. So her six children um, reflect uh, a choice. In the beginning, she's bitter, she's upset, she's hurting uh, about the fact that she's not the loved wife, but then she chooses, she chooses to improve this relationship. She understands that Rachel is here to stay, she's gonna be the wife, she's the chosen wife, um, and if we move from uh, this polygamy to uh, look at relationships, we understand that there are going to be problems in every relationship. And it's easy to say, oh, I thought I was going to marry this perfect person, but this perfect person doesn't exist, and I'm actually marrying somebody imperfect. Every relationship has a part of disappointment. The question is, what do you do with disappointment? Do you um, amplify it, or do you work to find the good in your relationship and you amplify that. So the first, yes, she's disappointed and the disappointment is so, so apparent you can actually like see it with your eyes. And then it becomes soft and you can only hear it. And then like you don't feel disappointed anymore, you're neutral. And then you start finding the good and you can actually thank God for this relationship and that's Yehuda. And they say, no, I'm so lucky. Not only am I thanking God for this relationship, I'm actually so lucky to have this relationship. And that's God. And they said, no, I'm happy. I'm happy. Happiness comes from the word sure To have this internal agreement to what happens. You're happier when you internally agree to the life that you have. And then you can be calm and happy. And then other people reflect that and say, wow, you know, this life, it's perfect for you. It's just such a good life. It's exactly what you need. And that's this internal validation. You have internal validation and external validation. That's usher. That's happiness. And that's a share. So we all have those choices. Yes, that perfect person we thought we were going to marry is not around. The person we're actually married to has quite a few blemishes. And so do we. And the question is, do we choose to be disappointed? And it's okay to feel disappointment. The fact is, she didn't start off with saying, you know, my disappointment, I'm going to shove it. I'm going to call my first son right away happiness. No. She gives voice to this disappointment even in a name. So it's okay to feel the disappointment, to give it validation, to understand it, to see it. To, but then do you get stuck in the disappointment or do you start working on finding the good? And once you focus on the good after validating your hard choices, your hard feelings, you make the choice to feel happy, to find the happiness, to find the good. And it takes time. It takes sometimes years. But in the end, you have this internal validation that you are happy. You're good. This life fits you. This is the internal validation. My life fits me and I fit my life. So this is what I wanted to say about the relationships. And now let's go to the kids. We see that Rachel and Leah it's very important to them to have children, to bring children into the world. And it's also important to Yaakov. And our sages have very um, 
important words about the importance of children, that having children and bringing children into the world, that's the blessing. You know, in Hebrew, we have the saying, Yeladim zesimcha, yeladim bracha. Children are happiness and children are um, blessing. Now, I have seven kids, so yes, bringing kids up can be quite challenging. But it's also the greatest thing that a person can do in the world. And I'm very troubled by this outlook in, in Western society that sort of cheapens and downgrades the status of children. Like children are a luxury, they're a distraction, and people don't want to have kids because they want to, you know, enjoy their life. And they want to go out and they want to have vacations and they don't want to be um, um, stopped by children. Um, I think it's just so wrong. I think mean, this entire society, yeah, we didn't have birth control until maybe, you know, a few, um, maybe a century before, or maybe it was very crude. But our mothers and fathers, grandfathers and grand grandmothers, great-grandparents and so on, we're here because they made a choice to give us something that's called life. That's the best, biggest gift you can give to somebody. And somehow something happened in the Western tradition that we no longer cherish this gift of life. We don't cherish it to give it to others and we don't respect the choice of other people to give this gift to their children. So when I read that people who choose to stay childless and not to get married and not to have children, or what's it called now, child-free, people who chose to stay child-free are now looking down at people who have kids and say, you know, you have kids, your problem. Your kid is sick, your problem. You have to take care of, of a sick kid, your problem. You know, <laughs> it's like a choice. You decided to go on vacation, your problem. You just said to get a car, your problem. Okay, that it's not normal and expected to have children. I think that's a major problem. And that really, really signifies the downturn in the civilization. When civilization doesn't respect its own children, when the civilization doesn't cherish its own children, that means that a civilization doesn't have a future. A civilization that is future-focused, that is looking forward into building and creating and going forward, what it does is it invests in the biggest resource that it has to create that future, and that's the future generations. And that's when it cherishes children, invests in children, promotes children, and yes, sometimes pays prices to have these children as a society. Society understands the children are not little adults. They cry and they can create a little bit of havoc, but that's a price we all pay as a society to have a future, right? And we normalize children. When a society has no future, that's when it decides that we don't want to pay the price. We don't want to invest in the future. We don't cherish the future. It's not a resource we need. We want to play and have fun and eat and drink now. And we want to stay kids free. And more and more Americans are choosing to stay child free. <laughs> it's just such a weird word, child free. But what that really signifies is as a culture, America is less and less invested in its future. And that should be very frightening to the American people. I think the more people understand that they need to have kids, the more they do that, the more of a future they have. And by the way, we have the same in Europe. In Europe today, 
most families have like a kid, a kid and a half, I think that's the average. That really means the society doesn't have a future, doesn't see a future, doesn't cherish its future. And because people don't believe in their future and don't want to leave a posterity, they choose not to have kids. It's really a choice. It's a moral choice, but it's also a reflection of what a society feels about itself and where it is going. And it really looks like the Western society today, American and European, doesn't see a future for itself. And therefore, the people don't feel optimistic about the future, optimistic enough to invest in having a future for the society. And yes, there's a price to pay, and people are just not willing to pay the price, <coughs> sorry, to invest in this collective future. Now, as I said, bringing up kids can be quite, quite challenging, especially if you want to control how they come out. But um, having been in this role of motherhood for almost 30 years now, and having made my share of mistakes as a mother, I can see today that the more you let your kids be, the more you let them just grow, obviously with proper discipline and with proper boundaries, but basically our biggest job as a parent is just not to get in the way of normal childhood. Let kids be free, let kids be happy, give them boundaries, obviously they need that, but they just need to be loved and cherished and somebody to reflect that spark in their eye and yes, they need to be told, you know, we do this, we don't do that. But it's much easier than people think. Certainly when people um, people are young. Um, I can say that today when I have my, you know, my youngest daughter is, um, is six. It's just a different kind of a bringing than when my older kids were young. So yes, there's definitely a part of sacrifice. And you don't get to be free, do whatever you want. But then the payoffs are so, so great. You know, today that I have grandkids, there's nothing that is so heartwarming and that gives me pleasure, like seeing um, my grandkids. It's just the payoff is huge. And uh, somebody said something very, very profound. He said that his wife, who is a senior um, engineer at a high-tech company, if she was to disappear from her company, you know, to leave tomorrow, they would probably find somebody to replace her within two weeks. You know, if she's like a CEO, they would find somebody to replace her within a month. And I've had that experience. I was in a pretty senior position in a pretty big company, and it seemed like nothing moves behind without me, and I was my fingers were in everything. But when I decided to leave, guess what? That company is still functioning without me. They found somebody to replace me. They're doing just fine. What happens when a parent disappears from a family, God forbid, when a parent passes away, God forbid, the psyche, the experience of the children, of the whole family changes, not only for that generation, it's a trauma that in them passed for generations to come. You can't replace a parent. I mean, even if you do, even if the parent, the other parent remarries and everything's fine and dandy, the trauma of missing a parent will stay there with the kids, the grandkids, it will really pass on. And that just shows to us the importance of parenting. People choose to uh, grow in their careers and not to have children. But in your career, your company is really you making money for somebody else. And they taught you and then 
they um, got you used to this idea that you grow on this corporate ladder. In reality, corporate ladder is just you creating more and more value for your employer. And when your employer decides that the value you create is not worth the money that you're paying you, they'll sack you. I've seen people so dedicated to their companies and then the companies fire them. Even companies with okay corporate cultures, your family will never fire you. You're so important to your family. And when you're building a family, you're not creating value for somebody else. You're creating value for yourself. Because with a loving relationship, the dividends you will get from your kids and your grandkids when they grow up, hopefully, God, um, please God, the payback to you will be so tremendous. So I think we have to refocus on these critical relationships and this week's Torah portion, Vayetze, teaches us that. Vayetze means to leave. Literally, Yaakov leaves his town, leaves Beersheba, and that's why the Torah portion is called Vayetze. But I think to understand relationships with our spouses, our significant ones, and with our children, we have to leave. We have to leave our own egos, our own self-centeredness. We have to sort of come out from behind ourselves and invest in other people, in seeing other people. And then that comes back to us. So these were my thoughts for this week's story portion. I hope you can look at ways to apply this to your life. You know, have you felt a need to uh, recalibrate your relationship with your spouse or your special somebody? Okay, do you see blemishes in that person? Do you choose to focus on those blemishes or do you choose to find the good and be thankful for the good? And your kids, do you see them as a burden or do you see them as a sort of, of love and life and blessing? If they're a burden, just try to reframe that. It doesn't have to be so hard. I can tell you, yes, it was very hard for me to bring up my kids when they were younger. But today, from the viewpoint of today, I just need to get out of the way and not spoil it. I don't need to control my kids. I don't need to control how they come out. They'll come out just fine if I love them, enjoy them, and give them some soft boundaries. You know, we don't speak this way. We don't do this. It, it doesn't have to be so hard. We can relax, relax into this space of being parents. So I wish you a terrific week, um, and I will see you next week with more news from the Torah. Bye-bye now. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 